All right, hey, what's up? We are finally back, Jake. This episode has been a long time coming. It is good to be back in the studio recording with you, Fish. It's uh, been a busy few weeks. Oh, you really think so? That, that means so much to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It does. Fisher's been the one busy running around, leading worship at our junior high summer camp. We just had a lot Love going a lot. on this past few weeks, like especially with how many things have been changing um, politically. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there's been so much. There's just been so much change. I don't even really know how else to word it. Um, and so, like, I guess for you guys who are our listeners, we I don't think we've probably put out an episode in what four weeks five weeks four or five weeks at least yeah Yeah, i want to say um which i'm sorry for those of you who um who are faithful and listening to um our podcast i know that's that's not a, a whole ton of you guys but we hope that through this series that we've been doing that we gain a little bit of um well people who want to listen and give perspective as well so Again, I'm going to use this as a segue to remind you guys that if you have anything that you want to hear, if you've had any questions where you would just like to pick Jake's brain about, please do reach out. You can reach out on Instagram at liveit underscore podcast. You can reach out to Jake personally at jake.sullivan at grace.church. Um, yeah, or even me, but oh, sam.fisher at grace.church. But um yeah, seriously, we want to hear from you yeah, guys. We, we want to hear input, um, and we want to have any like we just want to have pe- guests. Well, we want guests. Please, please, well, please come also, on our show. It's no, also I'm kidding. encouraging. Like, so I've had some people reach out on Facebook, just saying, "When are you going to release this?" Or what are your thoughts on that? And and um, so that's always encouraging. Also, make sure you like us on. Nobody talks to me on Facebook. I've become Facebook kind of pipe. I'm learning Instagram. That's like, that's good. That's algorithms good. and uh, I don't know. Don't I mean, with Matt, with teaching. with Matt Velasco, kudos to him joining the team. Um, yes. We've been, I mean, like you just, like you said, like two days ago, Jake. I have learned more about Instagram in one conversation with Matt Velasco than the entirety of the last seven years that yes. I've had my Instagram account. Yeah, I don't. I he's kind of like a social media nerd and knows oh, all yeah. that stuff behind yeah. the scenes and what we need to be doing. So hopefully we'll do a better job um, making sure what we're seeing on social media. But yeah, go follow us, uh, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So um, today, Jake, we are going to be digging into a little bit. Well, I mean, as so last week, um, last week, last episode, <laughs> like last five Feels weeks like ago, five week. weeks ago, yes. we um, did an episode on prejudice and what it means to have um, experience or the lack thereof when it comes to prejudice or prejudgment. And just to kind of walk through a little bit of what we talked about, we gave a little bit of um, background on where prejudice comes from, the study that was done on it starting really in the 1920s, moving to today's day, um, where we look at obsessional um, characteristics, mm-hmm. really, and things that are linked with racism and sexism, narcissistic characters, people who are um, generally just comfortable in their own environment or have had a lack of experience or a number of um, negative experiences with another yeah. people group or thing, person, place, thing, really. That causes a prejudgment. That's kind of what yeah. we talked about last week, Jake. And just to just to kind of give a little bit of a, a bow on that, what what's kind of your final words if I you think, had them? <laughs> yeah, I think for all of our listeners and, and anyone that's wrestling with this issue today, 
go and have experiences that are outside of what is normal. Yeah. And I, oh, and yeah. I think that goes for all of us. I think, you know, I, I shared a story about just my experience with the homeschool community and how that completely changed my thoughts once I got here to Grace Church. So where is God calling you? And, and typically what we don't understand is that God calls us to the uncomfortable places. He calls us to oftentimes places where we don't have experience. And mm. last night at Young Adults, I got a teach over Acts 8 and this idea of Philip being scattered from Jerusalem into Samaria, a people group that the Jewish people had all kinds of prejudgments about, but yet that is where God sent him and that experience and the proclamation of the gospel changed that city. And I think we all have responsibility as Christians too. Um, say, Lord, where are you sending me? But then also allowing ourselves to go into those uncomfortable places, mm. which change our prejudgments of other people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. Um, well, so to move to move more towards um, what we're going to be talking about today um, is injustice. And mm-hmm. I think that that word, much like racism, much like prejudice, is thrown around a lot. And I think that when people see injustice, they see... Um, the ways that they want things to go or like they see a personal preference of how they would deal with things. But the fact of the matter is, is there are policies in place that are really ingraining in our minds injustice wherever you are, whoever you are and whatever you do. Um, Injustice really kind of means many different things, right? And and, and on that statement, I think really injustice is Anything that keeps a particular people group oppressed. So any if 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 there are policies, if there are mm. um, you know things put in place that keep a particular people group oppressed. Yep. Yep. That is injustice. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, is what is it that goes on in our world, in our government, in our you know justice systems, in our law enforcement, w- whatever it may be. Um, whether they know it or not, whether we know it or not, that is keeping people oppressed. Yeah. So first, let's talk about injustice. What What is injustice, yeah. Jake? What Where do we see injustice um, in our world? How How people were treated, even in the Bible? Um, I mean, Jesus. We even see how Jesus was treated with much injustice, uh-huh. right? And so, I mean, how can we see that in the Bible and in the world, and how can we define it through that? Well, I, I think all throughout Scripture, right, you, you, you see the oppression of people. And, and I think it is our tendency when given power or authority to put in policy or procedures that keep people oppressed in order to protect our position. We, I, you know, I've got to see this all over the world just from a real practical standpoint, um, in particular in Africa. And even in particular with our own United States Embassy in Ghana, Africa, mm. right, is if, if I can keep, the, essentially in Africa, think about it like this, is there's no middle class. There's, a, there's an upper class that controls almost 100% of the resources, and that upper class is 7 to 10% of the total African community. And then the other 90% or more are living well below poverty on a dollar or two a day. Well, if I can keep the 90% oppressed through my policies, then I I control my power, my position, my authority, my prestige over a group of people, and then I can walk with the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we see this all over in, in scriptures, even with God's people, as they were put in, in positions of power control, how they would have a tendency of the sin nature to oppress then another particular group of people. We see with the Pharisees yep. and the Sadducees all throughout the New Testament that, that they wanted to protect the, the position they had, the power that they had. 
And, and I'm not even so sure that we even know that injustice is taking place if we're in that leadership or power con- power position. It is just one of those sin issues that we mm-hmm. deal with as a nation. We see it throughout Scripture. I, I've seen it all over Africa, and I think we, we see it often play out in the United States um, through the oppression of black people in particular in mm-hmm. inner-city communities. Yeah, that's that's so great that you bring that up, and I want to come back to that a little bit in the future, but just kind of another 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 talking point um, or just a question that I have like where do we see major circumstances of injustice in our nation in the past uh, I mean 10 years 20 years internationally I know you talked a little bit about um, just the African communities in in Africa um, and just how that works but I mean where do we see this happening and so we can just lay it out a little bit well I, I think the biggest place we see it now most people I think just because of the context of what is going on would say, with the police and the arrest rates of the black community and the incarceration rates of the black community. And that's, yes, that's true. But I think the more fundamental issue is in the educational systems Mm. and in public education in particular here in the United States. So, you know, public schools are predominantly funded through property taxes, which are based on your house value. And so if I'm in Eden Prairie, I'm in Chanhassen, I'm in Chaska, I'm in Minnetonka, I'm in these Southwest suburbs here in Minnesota my property value is higher than what is in South Minneapolis, which means my property taxes are higher, which I can pay, which helps fund the school. But where there isn't the same level of property tax and property value, the resources given to the school system is broken. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the black community then is not being given the same educational opportunities that, quite frankly, my children have in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. If that's um, different opportunities through the school, if that's um, equipping teachers, if that's classroom space, if it's technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing this right now with, with COVID-19. My kids can go do online schooling because every kid walks into school and they're given an iPad or an Apple computer. Mm-hmm. South Minneapolis, that's not the case. So you're not walking into school giving every kid an iPad or an Apple computer so they don't have access to technology and then often don't have internet maybe in the homes so it's just a breakdown of the educational system. As the breakdown of the educational system takes place, then we start to see the ramifications of that as they get older, which right. often becomes, if it's gang-related activity, if it's incarceration, if it's if it's yeah. drug-related stuff, so on and so forth. And I think we're also going to see it, and we'll maybe talk about this in a little bit, even the injustice that's taking place in terms of resources within the local church. Yeah, and not even just with, with I mean, the the black community and the African-American community that um, whether you have been living here your entire life or whether you are um, an immigrant, I think, I think we see a lot of this happening um, with the Hispanic community and what it talks to. And and, and it's so interesting because um, I think when we have a lot of um, Hispanic immigrants, the process to becoming a citizen is painful. It is painful painful to watch. And I'm sure that um, those of you who are listening, and Jake, you as well, you know and are completely aware of the term um, the American dream. Mm -hmm. And what it used to be, Jake, is it used to be something so real, right? The American dream was the idea that people could come to a land and have freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of lifestyle, freedom to do whatever it is that they choose, whatever way they want to live, um, and not have the government dictating how they do that, right? Yeah. Obviously, and, and, and now it's morphed into this idea of when you come into America and you have this American dream, it's you 
you buy the big house, you have the good, you know, six, six figure job or more, and you have the nice car, you get the two kids, you just kind of slowly sail through life. And then you, you retire and then, and then you die at 85 or whatever it is, like that American dream, then it's just the easy life. Right. Um, and, and one of the ways that I see that fail uh, other than the obvious reasons that um it's so easy to get trapped and to get ensnared in that trap and you know not be able to see where the will of god is in your life um but we see that a lot with the immigrant community and i think that when the immigrant community comes to the states they come seeking that better life which is completely valid right they want their kids to have the better life the better education they want to be able to provide that that medical care for their family that they haven't been able to provide in their home countries right and they come to the states but then there's this barrier where people are struggling to become a citizen so they're here on a work visa right maybe even illegally too with their entire families trying to work, trying to be able to do this thing, maybe even get the education, whatever it is. But the thing that's being able to keep them from doing all that is the fact that they don't have the citizenship. And so they're doing this thing. They're working so hard. They are enslaved to this idea of the American dream. But the injustice in the system of becoming a citizen of the United States Mm -hmm. is almost putting them in a prison and keeping them in a box because they don't want to be caught. They don't want to fly over the radar because what what happens if something goes wrong? They get sent back to their country. They can't come back. Yeah, the the system's created and, fear, and it is. It has and, and, absolutely. And in that fear, those who are in authority maintain their power and control. And and it's a, it's a broken system. I I got to see it. We helped a young man. We've helped a handful of of young men come over from Ghana, Africa, on student visas. Mm-hmm. And and they've even met American girls, got married started a family, got a college degree, um, have a great job on a work visa, but then walking through the citizenship and immigration process is absolutely unbelievable. What yeah. from a financial resource standpoint, a time standpoint, and then the fear that is uh, that is placed into the process mm-hmm. that they may not get it. And, yeah. and literally ripping and, and separating families. And, you know, we've got illegal immigration issues, but the reality is, okay, they're here, so what do we do about them instead of keeping them oppressed right. Right. Um, right. In, in communities as in, and not giving them the same opportunities right. that everybody else has? And America has always been this idea of, of the melting pot. For mm-hmm. those of you guys who don't know um, what, the, what the melting pot is, is it's essentially a term used to describe all different like nations, tribes, tongues, different different um, groups of people or things coming into one area and just intermingling and mixing together to become one land, right? One one culture, yeah. really, and it's and so it's like a ton of different cultures coming together um, and creating one culture, and it was like the American culture. That's what the um, that's what America was looked at and and was called. Um, was the melting pot because we had so many different people from so many different nations, tribes, tongues, cultures joining in this one area. Well, and, but, and, and let me touch on that too, Sam, because part of it is where we say, well, we still have that, right? Like if, right, we, go through, if we go through Minnesota, we've got the large, one of some of the largest immigrant communities in the entire world oh, in yeah. our backyard. Absolutely. But the policies and the procedures that are in place once they arrive, you know, I've worked with a handful of citizenship organizations that you have a persecuted group of people, whether it's in Myanmar or Syria or Sudan or whatever mm-hmm. um, country you may name, 
And they have these these visa drafts, typically on refugee camps, where then they'll bring groups of people or families over. And basically, the citizenship program, the U.S. government, will walk with you for six months. They'll give you some funding. They'll help set you up in an apartment. Um, they'll help try to locate some job. Typically, the parents rarely um, speak English, so you got the transition to school. So you have six months worth of help, but after six months, it's like, hey, hope you make it. Mm. And, and where those immigrant communities are being populated are in our inner city communities where there's already a lack of educational um, equality set up. There's already things that are against these communities right. from, a, from just an injustice component. Right. Now you've brought these immigrant communities into it. Even if they are here legally, we have not set them up always as uh, in an avenue of success Right. prosperity where they can dream and, and, and they can have real chance to succeed mm. in our country. And yeah, to, to just to add a little bit of perspective on that, I want to share a story. Um, so Elizabeth, my fiance has been, um, been volunteering with this, uh, group called arrive ministries. And what they do is they minister to, uh, specifically, um, Afghani immigrants who have come to Minneapolis um, looking for a better life. And so Elizabeth had met with this woman, um, one of the wim- uh, women that she's been helping. Like basically what this ministry does is they teach English to these women so that they can help find jobs, so that they can help teach their children what's going on in school and just all, I mean, so that they just know the language of the land they're living in. Um, and through that, they, they kind of try it. Th- and share the gospel and disciple and all that kind of stuff. It's just an open door to be able to build a relationship. But with one of the women that um, that Elizabeth, uh, my fiance, was was ministering to and, and helping out, um, she went over to her house a few weeks back and um, heard a story from her. Basically, what had happened was um, over COVID because of this, all the um, repercussions of coronavirus and and all the um, kind of walls and stuff put in place and rules put in place because of it, um, this, this woman had to, had to go to the hospital um, because she, she was pregnant and she started seeing some, some bleeding, some abnormal bleeding. And so she went to the hospital and um, she, nobody could go in with her. It had to be just her. Mm-hmm. And the doctors were trying to tell her that she had had a, uh, a miscarriage and that she, they needed to operate on her to, you know, get the rest of everything out of her body so that, um, you know, she wouldn't get sick, right? The rest, the placenta and all that kind of stuff that needed to be removed. Um, but the fact, but the thing is, is there wasn't allowed anybody in with her mm-hmm. and she doesn't speak English and she needed a translator, but they wouldn't allow her translator to come in. So they're just trying to tell her all this stuff that they needed to do to her and do with her, but she didn't understand any of it. So they have to do all of this stuff, all these operations and tests and all this kind of stuff. Her, neither her children, her husband, nor her translator could come in and join and help her out, help her understand what's going on. The person in her family that speaks the best English is her four-year-old daughter, I believe it is, or four-year-old son, or whatever, who, who mm-hmm. has been living in this, this country their entire life and has just learned English by that, right? Um, and... So she goes home and she's distraught and doesn't understand what's going on. Um, and it's just, and she, she's just trying to gather her thoughts on what happened um, because nobody was able to help tell her. Yeah. 
And this is just like a little bit of a glimpse of, of just the injustice and the brokenness of the decisions we make, right? We're trying to, you know, keep our people safe and all that kind of stuff by, you know, limiting who all can go into the hospitals and all this kind of stuff to limit the spread of a virus and, and of a sickness. But the things that we don't see are the things that are broken. In yes. it. And we never see them. We have, we like, that's why it's so important that we, open ourselves up and provide opportunity for us to reach out to these people and understand their situation. Otherwise we're never going to know. And then that, yeah. that prejudice lives in our hearts. Well, and we it's also, know. it's also where the Lord tells us that we need to be a voice for those experiencing injustice for mm-hmm. the oppressed and, yep. and, and the, the neglected in our communities and our societies. Cause if we're, if we're not willing to be a voice against injustice, then there is never change. Mm-hmm. And, and we got to mm-hmm. see that with Martin Luther King. I think he was the best at it, understanding racism, understanding prejudice, and then understanding injustice. And what do I want to accomplish in each of those buckets? Uh, the gospel is going to change the heart of a racist, right? Experience is going to change the heart of those who have prejudgments. And then ultimately, policy change is what we need to fight for in order to fight against injustice. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think Martin Luther yeah. King, being able to define those three buckets and separate those three buckets— was so effective in his mm. um, in his livelihood for actual change, mm. and yeah. and I think for us is 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 it's getting all blurred together in justice, racism, prejudice, and and it's just one big melting pot. So we're just going to protest. Well, what are we protesting? What do we want? And if we want to end end injustice, we need to fight for policy change. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it just all gets intermixed and and um. And, and no, we and don't understand. You right? have the perception of change without the reality of change. And, right. I, and I've mentioned this a few times on my social media pages. Yep. And, yep. and this is my greatest fear right now is that we're, we're creating a perception of change without the reality of change. If policies right. and procedures have not changed, then there is no real change. And we, we never look far ahead enough in the future to understand what is it that we're actually asking for, right? Because down the line, we're going to experience the repercussions and essentially um, – for lack of better words, pay the price for everything that it is that we're fighting for that gets approved, yeah. right? And I think um, one of the things that many of us um, in my generation even don't understand and don't see um, is how terrible the um, the stimulus check thing is going to affect us, how terribly it's going to affect us down the line. Because the fact of the matter is, is we're going to be paying for that, right? And our children are going to be paying for that. Who knows how long we're going to be paying that back? And so that's just that's just even like one tiny little example, but not really that tiny. It's pretty big. But like the f- the fact of the matter is, is um, it, it's because we want right now. Well, it's, sec- it's secondary consequences, and, right? And for me, and for my family, I know for many families, the, the stimulus check helped greatly in having six kids and the whole gamut and, and, and helped our economy, right? There's a secondary consequence, obviously, to that. Right, right, right. From, from a tax standpoint and everything else that will come down the line. I think the greatest place that we see secondary consequences, in particular in terms of what we're walking through as a country right now, are the secondary consequences of the police unions. Mm. And, and you, know, you think about George Floyd and, and really where the protests in the heart of the riots and, and – Mm-hmm. The dissension began was the injustice that was taken out on a handful of black people, not just George Floyd, but George Floyd here in our own community, 
with the police. And mm. so, so where does change begin? Right. So, it, oh, yeah. Go and, ahead. And Jake, I didn't want to like, I just want to backtrack just a little bit. I didn't want to be like insensitive yeah. or any of yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. I think it's just something that is really important for us to gauge a perspective on. Well, there's second, right? there's secondary consequences to every decision. Right. Right. And like, and I'm not going to say that, that, you know, stimulus checks weren't helpful. You know, the stuff with the police isn't um, isn't necessary that we are talking about it and that we're fighting for policy change and with, with the police force and all that kind of stuff, which is actually my second point or another point that I have. But um, just, just to be clear, I don't mean to be insensitive. I think it's just important that we think about these things as we fight for the policy changes, which is super important. Um, yeah, and, it's, it's, and ultimately, it's just... It's just thinking about secondary consequences. We need to make something as simple as, right, what's going on right now with high school sports. There's a secondary consequence mm, to that. Right. right. Like, yes, you may protect a little bit of the coronavirus spread, but what about the emotional damage that will be done to young people because they've lost this opportunity, the seniors in high school, something has been taken from them, removed from them. Idle time. We know scripture says, right, idleness is the devil's workshop. Mm. So the more idle time we give our students, why well, we only should expect crime and and other things like that to continue to go through the roof, right? We see we see the violent violence in Chicago right now and the violence in New York right now. Well, you make people idle, you take their jobs, you shut down the economy. You do all these things, it's going to create secondary consequences. And then we're going to cry out for those mm. situations and saying, well, they're unjust, or we need this changed or that changed. Well, you've created it because of your policy without thinking through the secondary consequences of it. Right. And, and I think we need to become a community, especially as Christ followers, who are saying, okay, this decision is to be made. What are the secondary consequences of it? And right. is it keeping a group of people um, unrighteously... Uh, oppressed. And I think that's such an important thing. I think that's the important of really like heavenly wisdom, right? And it talks about in, um, it talks about in, let's see, first Corinthians, um, about the wisdom that comes from the Lord, right? Man already knows the wisdom of man yeah. because we are man and we've, and there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon talks about that yeah. all the time, right? But the wisdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit that lives in us as Christians. Mm -hmm. And if we are not in tune as Christian believers and followers of Christ with the Lord's word, with the word of God, the truth that he has given us, which is the living mm -hmm. word, it's living and active today, by the way, um, and we are not in tune with our relationship with the Lord and understanding who the Holy Spirit is as he lives in us, right? We cannot hear the wisdom of God and understand yeah. the wisdom of God. And the fact of the matter is the wisdom of God is what? people need is what we need because it's something that's not heard we do we need the wisdom of god and we need the wisdom of god to fight against injustice amen and to be a voice for injustice yes. knowing that there are going to be consequences when you choose to rise up against mm -hmm. it and 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 i just want to go back briefly too because i think it's such a hot topic right now like what do we do about the police is defunding the police really the op the option and i would say from an, right. a justice standpoint it's the police unions you can't fire bad cops and you know, because the police right. union constantly goes and helps them get their jobs back. And I've had this mm -hmm. personally as I've got much, many family members in law enforcement and in high positions in law enforcement. And if they have a bad cop and they fire a bad cop, the union make, goes through the court process to make them get their jobs back. That's, mm. the, in, that's the policy change that yeah. will create 99.9% .9 of cops are great cops that do not have prejudgments or racist intentions against the people in the communities they're serving, 
Right. But it's that 0.1% that do that need to get out, but you can't get them out. Mm. So, so as a community, like that needs to be the message. That needs to be the fight. Right. Not, not a fight of racism, racism. Yes, racism. But we gotta, we gotta battle that with the, with the gospel. Yeah. But we can create yeah. policy change if right. our voices are united and loud enough. Right. And I think just the hard question to ask for those of you who have really been struggling with this idea of law enforcement, um, what is policy change versus the abolition of law enforcement entirely? Right. What 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 are the repercussions of wanting to completely abolish law enforcement? And I think we see that like in in Washington, right, where there's that that square where they have complete uh, they had completely blocked off mm-hmm. um, law enforcement. Law enforcement didn't enter and they didn't leave and they just wanted to see what it was like to have their own community governed by themselves, kind of like a little bit of an anarchy kind of thing going on. Um and it was a mess, quite honestly. Oh, and, it's, a, it's, it's it, a mess. And yeah. but the fact of the matter is, just that tiny, this that little little example. Like, what are the repercussions of policy change or versus abolition of law enforcement entirely? Oh, Things, hard questions we need to ask. James. And well, and what is the sin issue, right? That's the thing we've got to ask ourselves. Like, yeah, th- there's absolutely. a sin issue behind that. It, getting rid of the police is not the answer. Uh, defunding the police is not the answer. But there are groups of people that say, this is an opportunity for me to grasp power and control. So I'm not going to think about the secondary consequences necessarily of defunding the police. This gives me an opportunity to be in charge. This gives Mm -hmm. me an opportunity to have power. This gives me an opportunity to be in control. And it gives me the opportunity then to become the oppressor. And and that's that's so much of what what oftentimes power and authority in sin becomes. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to oppress a different group of people so that I can be in charge. And that's not going to, mm. it's never going to work. And and so we have to have God's wisdom, God's discernment as we walk through the issue of injustice and as we think about how do we fight against injustice in our communities, in our cities, and in our nation. Yeah, yeah. And even like um, like it says in, in Romans 13 too, I'm just thinking about this, um, as we talk about governing authorities and, and the sin issue behind um, behind the things that are actually going on with this whole abolition of law enforcement idea um, is there's a pride behind it. There's a pride behind it that I can do better than what has been appointed. But the fact, but even, even for us, even for many Christian believers, we believe that like mm-hmm. I can, I can do better than what has been put in authority because they can't do they can do no right. But the fact of the matter is, is in Romans 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from the, from the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commanded. And then it goes on to say, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And I think that that's... That, that last part there is so important because we know that if the government is asking mm-hmm. us to sin, that's a whole different story. 
because God's command is to submit but not to sin, right? Yes. And so, and so, but then apart from that, right, like if we truly believe that God is over all and has ordained all and is the creator of the universe, then he is in control of every situation. And if somebody is in authority, like for this time, for this season, it was meant to be maybe to grow our faith, maybe to maybe to help us look inside and see what is there in like a prejudice or thing in my heart that is keeping me from loving my neighbor who is in turmoil because of this injustice. What is it that I can do instead of pointing the finger at an author- at a governing authority or a person in authority? What instead can I do to look inside myself to then die to myself and love my neighbor and help the person who is experiencing injustice or prejudice? Yeah, and, and I think so much of that scripture too, Sam, is, is God gives it to us so we can have peace. Because it, 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 you, you wrestle with the tension, well, then do I not fight for injustice? God has placed the leadership. God has put the rules in. God is sovereign. God is mm-hmm. in control. So I don't do I not, just not do anything. Right. And I think, no, that's not the answer. I, th- I think God's reminding us that he is in control. Yeah. And that in that control, we can have peace. But then God's word also clearly commands us, right, to speak up against injustice. Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, you shall not distort justice you shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous Mm. all over scripture it's saying be a voice against injustice speak out right take a step forward and and for us i think as christians that means how do we go about fighting for policy change that means in in november that we are going to the ballots and we're voting yeah. And and we are we are putting people in position, right? Ultimately through the sovereignty of God that will create policies to fight against injustice or or policies to allow the oppressed to be free. Who are those people and and what is our active role in that? And mm-hmm. um you know, I think there's a healthy tension there. I think it's a tension our our society is going to continue to wrestle against God's sovereignty, my responsibility. Right, right. And yeah. even like the response, like you, we even see this just to add a little bit before we kind of finish up and wrap up here. Like we see this in, in um, Leviticus where God is talking to Moses about what to command his people on, um, on what righteousness is. Right. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, it says, uh, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor, not by their status, right? Yeah. Not by what position it is that they are living, right? It is by the righteousness of God, Amen. right? But ultimately, the Amen. judgment is left to God himself, mm-hmm. and we are just the messengers of the hope of Jesus Christ. Yes, and I think that that's really what we're trying Let's to do. Let's end there. Exclamation yeah. point. Drop the mic. That Let's get out of here. Point. We will be back yeah. soon. It won't be another five weeks before Definitely we Definitely not. Episode. Maybe two. Maybe two. One or two. All right. Bye, guys.